We're continuing our series of hope, and Psalm 23 is a psalm of hope, absolutely. I'm sure that many of you know it, and you, can, you probably don't even need to look at your Bible. You might have it memorized. But if you don't, that's okay. Turn with me to Psalm 23, and we will read it together. Psalm 23. I will read this, and then I will pray, and then we will dive right in. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, whom have we in heaven but you? To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We come now to your words, seeking those words of eternal life. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand, a heart to believe, and a spirit to obey. Amen. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We all know this passage. One of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Children memorize it. We see it in countless films used throughout time. Christians flock to it. We flock to it in our times of trouble, in our times of tragedy. Even non-Christians are familiar with this passage of Scripture. Even those who do not claim to follow Christ come to this this psalm for solace in times of fear and in times of anxiety. This is a wonderful and beautiful psalm of hope and confidence, no matter the circumstance. But here's the interesting thing. Many of us don't actually live our lives from the psalm at all. We live from another psalm. If we are honest, we are not natural followers. Humility and dependence do not come naturally to us. And instead, we prefer to be the one in charge. We prefer being our own shepherd. And so author Justin Taylor wrote an anti-psalm of Psalm 23. The path for the self-sufficient. To those whose default mode is that they want to be their own shepherd. It goes like this. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still I insist, I want to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road. But I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. 
I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone, for no one has my back. No one is really for me, except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. An anti-psalm of Psalm 23. A psalm for the self-sufficient. Isn't it hopeless? Doesn't it feel you empty, alone, and restless? Compare that to the wonderful truths we see in Psalm 23 today. That is why it's such a wonderful psalm. It is why we need these truths so desperately. Psalm 23 offers us the chance to remind ourselves that we are not alone. As the people of God, we have a good shepherd who provides for our needs, and he protects us from our greatest fears and even lavishes us with his grace. Psalm 23 doesn't hide from the dark realities of life, but instead offers us the chance to find our peace and solace in him no matter the circumstance. And so as we look at this psalm in greater depth, we're going to look at two images that David gives us today. We're going to follow these two pictures that he has of Jesus. First, Jesus is our shepherd who protects and provides for us. Jesus is our shepherd. And second, Jesus is our host who lavishes us with his grace. Jesus is our shepherd, and Jesus is our host. So first, turn to verse 1, and we will look as Jesus, our shepherd, who protects and provides with us. David starts off, with his, starts off the psalm with the Lord. Do you notice that? Do you notice how the Lord is capitalized? That's kind of important, actually. If you remember that the psalms are not written in English, if you didn't know that. The psalms are originally written in what? Hebrew. Hebrew. That's correct. And so when we see the Lord capitalized, you know what that, that is actually meaning to do there. After years of tradition, all the translators would instead put the Lord in capital letters because what is really there is God's covenant name. Yahweh. Maybe you've heard this before. And so the translators would put Lord to note that for us because it's so holy. They didn't even feel the ability to write Yahweh down in the text there. But something is lost when we, when we kind of lose that. I'm sure many of you read that and don't even think about Yahweh in that moment. And one commentator said it like this. Sometimes we lose something of the personal and intimate nature by using Lord instead of Yahweh. For the Lord is a title, but Yahweh is personal. It's like me talking about the wife right? Versus Leanne. One is very distant and almost kind of mean, and one is her personal name. And even now when I say Leanne, usually she kind of looks at me like, what? (laughs) It's a little bit more personal, intimate, right? The same way that is Yahweh for us, and that is the way that David is talking about Yahweh. But not only does he use his covenant name, which was revealed to his people, but he uses a very personal metaphor, Yahweh is my shepherd. That is a much more intimate picture than we see in some psalms, right? Where we see a rock or a shield or a fortress. Here we see a shepherd. And this is very personal for David, if you know his own story. What was David before? A shepherd, right? He lived countless hours out in the night with his flock. All those hours spent alone with his sheep. He knew what it meant to be a shepherd. And one thing about being a shepherd is that it is a rough job. And it is not exactly the job that you really want when you're growing up. 
Because a shepherd, if you, especially if you remember, who was, where was David in the line of his brothers? He was the youngest, right? So all of his brothers were off at war, and he was the one that was stuck with the sheep. And so a shepherd spent all of his days in the hot sun, alone with the stinky sheep. And then when it's cold at night, who are his companions? The stinky sheep. And he's spending all his time protecting them from the elements, from the terrain, from predators. It was not an easy job. But we see that our Lord is an amazing shepherd. Because look how he provides for him. I shall not want, or I shall not lack. We know there that that means that the Lord provides for everything that we need. Not necessarily for everything that we want, because not everything that we want is actually for our good, if we're honest, right? Not everything that we want is actually what we need. But the Lord provides for us. You see, sheep are helpless animals, and they need everything. A sheep might think that a certain, blade, a certain patch of grass is better for him, so they might come over there and try and eat from that patch of grass, and here is the shepherd leading them away, and they're like, what are you doing, shepherd? I want to eat from this grass. But the shepherd knows a better patch of grass further down the road, does he not? And he leads the sheep to where they are safe, for he knows better. God knows what we need. If he is our shepherd, then he will provide for our needs. And notice how he provides for David in verse 2. He leads me beside, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He brings David to a place of safety and rest. And that is no easy feat if you know anything about Judean wilderness, right? There's not a lot of these kind of areas where a sheep could be led to. Our shepherd is an amazing shepherd. Philip Keller is an author who worked as a shepherd for eight years. And he recorded his insights in a book on Psalm 23, and this is what he said. For a sheep to lie down, a shepherd must first provide a great deal of things. It is almost impossible for them to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of their social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. Our Lord is such an amazing shepherd that we lie down in a place of rest. This is how he provides for us. Think of all the amazing promises that he gives us in Scripture. He said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Abundant life is what we are promised. Freedom from hunger and thirst for our deepest needs. That is your shepherd. David deeply experienced this refreshment and renewal. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How amazing is that? He restores his soul. Does that sound nice to you today? Would you like that? It is so amazing that his soul is restored. To not be left alone to himself to restore himself when he feels empty and when he feels spiritually dried up. Longing for renewal, where is his shepherd? He is right there renewing David and leading him down the path of life. As he promised, come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our Lord provides. And notice whose reputation is on the line in this. Do you see that? Whose namesake is on the line? The Lord's. God's reputation is on the line. And this is what John Piper says to this. God is the beginning and end of all my righteousness. The path of righteousness was His grace as its starting point, and it has His glory as its destination. That is our shepherd. His name is on the line, and yet He still provides for us to His own glory. And notice how He protects us from our deepest fears in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Our shepherd protects us even through the valley of darkness, of deep darkness, of death. David knew this very intimately, did he not? As Physically, he would have known this as a shepherd, surely leading flocks through all kinds of valleys throughout the wilderness. And especially as a soldier, he'd probably go through some valleys and would know this type of fear. Where at any moment, a predator could be around the bend that you can't see, or maybe elevated that could jump down and ambush you. There could be a quick rainstorm that could all of a sudden, there could be a flash flood, and there you are stuck down in the valley. A place of deep fear. But he also knew the valley emotionally and spiritually. Think of all the valleys that had been in David's life. Moments after his sin with Bathsheba where he was spiritually empty and alone and terrified. Valleys of when he was betrayed by family members. He had experienced many emotional and spiritual valleys. But notice his response. I will fear no evil. And why is that? Who is with him? You are with me. Notice there, there's a change if you notice it. And earlier in the psalm we've seen he, he, he. Kind of a third person description of the Lord. But here we see you. A second person description of the shepherd. For the shepherd is there alongside him and provides him great comfort and stability. If you look at the two images that he has for him. Your rod and your staff. We see that our shepherd is a warrior. That he is carrying this club with which he can fight off any predators or any enemies. This is a powerful shepherd. And a shepherd that brings great stability. He's holding this walking stick that has seen many miles, that has been through this journey many times, and brings him great stability no matter the circumstance. His shepherd protects and walks beside him and has walked before him. Last year, Leanne and I experienced the valley of the shadow of death. And really, for five months, we lived in it. And it was an awful experience. We sat there in the doctor's office after an ultrasound, and we had found out that our pregnancy with Wilson was high risk, that we had had a torn placenta. And so there we were, our first pregnancy, we were already terrified, and here we have this news, and we're sitting across from our doctor, who was our friend, it had become our friend so far. And here she was, describing all the possible things that could come out of this pregnancy. All these fears of of the loss of life, of stillbirth, there are all kinds of different fears that you know, weren't even on our radar, and now we're very real possibilities that might happen with our pregnancy. And I wish I could sit here and say that in the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't doubt for any moment that the Lord would protect or provide for us. But I was terrified. I was filled with anxiety. I was sad. I was grieved. I was angry. 
And I've never felt such a lack of control over a situation than those five months. As a father, as a husband, there was nothing I could do to take this moment away from us. All I could simply do was just comfort Leanne, grieve, and pray. For five months, we sat through ultrasound after ultrasound in the, ultra, in the high-risk category. And surely enough, our shepherd was in control the whole time. Hoping and praying that nothing had changed for the worse, Wilson was growing and was going to be okay. Because one time we went into an ultrasound, and they told us that the tear wasn't there any longer. That it had miraculously healed. And after all those months of being afraid and terrified and praying, he had taken control. And Wilson was okay, as you see him running around making noise in many services. (laughs) Our shepherd was in control. Is Jesus your shepherd today? Are you content with his protection and provision? Or do you find yourself envying the circumstances of those around you? Do you trust your shepherd to provide for what you most deeply need? Hear his promise today. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. David also spoke of his soul being restored. Maybe today you are longing for that restoration. And maybe this is a moment for you to audit yourself and ask yourself, where do you usually run for restoration? Maybe you're like me, and sometimes you come home and you just sit on the couch and start binging a new Netflix show with a pint of ice cream. Or maybe you're someone who gets caught up in work and starts to kind of numb out the ache inside of you by working and keeping yourself busy. Busying yourself so you don't have to feel that ache inside of you. David knew that feeling very deeply, but he had found a shepherd who provided real restoration, true relief to a weary soul. And our shepherd loves to restore. Hear his heart from Luke 15. What man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That is the heart of our shepherd. He longs to restore us. Has he found you yet? Even in the valley of the shadow of death, that can't keep us from him. In fact, in in that place, in our place of our worst fears, he is with us. Even when we are overwhelmed with fear of our circumstances, he is right there beside us. The speaker at our high school camp this week, he, he, he gave an illustration that I thought was so helpful. He said, when, you're, when parents are sitting in their room and all of a sudden their child bursts through the doors and is terrified of the monster under their bed, what the child doesn't need in that moment is an explanation of how monsters aren't real or how monsters aren't under their bed. What they need is the embrace of their father and the embrace of their mother. And so too with us. What we need in the valley is the embrace of our shepherd who is right there alongside us. He comforts us because he is with us in the valley and he has gone before us. He is our great shepherd. But David's amazing psalm doesn't leave us there. Look at the next image. He gives us the image of a host who lavishes us with his grace. Look at verse 5. 
You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The shepherd has led us out of the valley, through the valley of the shadow of death, and now he has welcomed us into the house and is throwing us a great feast. And there's a great deal of feasting language that we see in these two verses. First, notice that we are welcomed at the main table. It's like being invited to a wedding and you are sitting at one table and all of a sudden they say, no, 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 come here, come here, you're going to sit with the bride and groom. That's an amazing honor, is it not? And this table is the table of the king. That is where we have a name, a little, a little card with our name on it, sitting at the table of the king. And this honor is a big deal. One commentator pointed out, in the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table created a bond of loyalty and fellowship. It could even be the step of sealing a covenant. David is promising us a close, intimate relationship with our shepherd. Instead of dumb sheep, Jesus calls us friends. Amen. We are his friends. We also see the Lord celebrating his victory over his enemies, even, in, even over death. They are powerless to stop this celebration. They are there powerless. And notice how David's head is anointed with oil. He's given here another public display of hospitality. Oil was mixed with perfume and would smooth the skin and give off a sweet fragrance. It is a mark of friendship, acceptance, and celebration. Truly, we are treated as celebrated guests at this feast. Honored guests at the Lord's table, and we are given the best service. Notice, notice the cup. The cup is overflowing. There are no empty cups in the Lord's house. When I think of that, I think of the image of, uh, if you've ever seen Thor Ragnarok, I had to fit a Marvel reference in, right? And he's drinking from this cup, and as Thor keeps drinking, as he puts it down, it refills itself over and over and over and over and over. And it's kind of comedic, and it shows what a Hollywood person would think of if they had superpowers. But even more so, what we see is the provision of our king. Our cup overflows in every sense. We are truly and deeply satisfied. We lack nothing we need. How amazing is that truth? Our cup overflows in every sense. And in verse 6, notice it is not our enemies that are pursuing us, but the goodness and mercy of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus' goodness, and here the word here is again is has said, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his covenant-keeping love, his never-ending, never-ceasing, despite our own unfaithfulness love. That's what's pursuing us. You cannot outrun this love. Our Savior is pursuing us with goodness and faithfulness for all the days of our life. And we have been welcomed into the feast, given a place of honor, and satisfied with His love. And we are, not only that, notice how we are welcomed now to move into the house of the King. How amazing is that? We were given a place at the table, and not only that, we were given a room in his house. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We are given a room in the mansion. When I think of the grace of God, one of the images that always comes to my mind is from Victor Hugo's Les Mis. If you've ever seen this story, we follow a character named Jean Valjean who has just served 19 years in chains. And so released from that, he goes and is trying to rebuild his life. And so a bishop w welcomes him into the, into the church. He brings him in. He feeds him and gives him a place of rest. And there in the middle of the night, 
Jean Valjean wakes up and decides instead to steal from the bishop. And so there he goes and he fills his hands with all the silver that he can get and runs off into the night. And the next scene we see is the police bringing Jean Valjean back into the presence of the bishop. And we think in that moment that we're going to see this divine justice, this this punishment that Jean Valjean deserved for abusing the grace of the bishop. And instead what we see is shocking. The bishop looks at Jean Valjean and looks at the police and says, no, that silver was a gift. And in fact, you ran out in the middle of the night and you forgot the greatest part. And he goes and he hands him these two silver candlesticks and put put them in Jean Valjean's hands. Why would he do this? He deserved punishment for his crimes. And instead, he receives mercy and an overabundance of grace. And this is how Valjean responds. Yet why did I allow that man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above. Can such things be? His life is changed forever from this moment of grace. Can such things be? Can they be for us too? Does such grace and mercy exist for us? Maybe have you experienced the amazing grace of God? We come to Jesus like the story of the prodigal son, coming to him, and what do we see from Jesus? Him running to us, embracing us, throwing a feast on our behalf. Truly there is no one like our king or our shepherd. Micah 5 tells us this of our shepherd, that one will come who will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. And Jesus in John 10 tells us that he is that shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, if you look at Psalm 23, what you see is I am the shepherd. Look back and you see me. Jesus went through the valley of the shadow of death on our behalf. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that we could drink the cup of blessing. There was no rod or staff for him to find comfort in. He went to the cross alone, thirsty, hungry, so that we could become sons and daughters of the King. This is our good shepherd who has laid down his life for all of us. Let us surrender our aims to be our own shepherd and instead surrender to the greatest shepherd of all, for this is what our shepherd promises to his sheep. Revelation 7, 16 and 17 says this, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Truly, our shepherd and king provides and protects us, and he lavishes us with his grace. Let us pray. Father, we are so amazed at your mercy and grace that you show us in Psalm 23. That you protect us, that you provide for us, but not only that, you welcome us into your house with a feast and with a place at your table and with a room in your mansion. Thank you for your mercy that you've shown us in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.